This week on A Dictionary of Finance from the European Investment Bank, risk models. We have two complete super fantastic experts on this here. We're not just talking about a usual kind of experts. We're talking about PhD experts. Do you have a PhD, Ella? I do not. I sure. don't have a PhD either, but it's okay because I don't work in risk models. We have Olivier Vance, who is head of model maintenance and monitoring here at the European Investment Bank, and Eva Riberitz, who is the head of model development. And let's hear, first of all, Olivier, your PhD was, the title of it was? Uh, the Instant on Liquid and the Axiom. Ah, okay. A little bit of theoretical physics there. That's mm. it. What, what, what liquid is that? Well, it's the liquid of instantons. Instantons are quasi-particles that exist in imaginary time. And uh, they can be used to, to, to describe the topological properties of the vacuum, a vacuum through uh, which the strong interaction um, gives a time-dependent mass to the so-called particle, the axion, which was then used as a candidate to explain cold dark matter. So after that, mm, risk right. models are going to be really, really easy for our listeners to understand. I think, right? I like the the idea of imaginary time. If I had known imaginary time was a concept in physics. I would. Uh, I wouldn't have done a degree in English literature. I would have done something completely different, like theoretical physics. But anyway, there might have been other problems with me doing that. Ava, your PhD, on the other hand, was in mathematics, and it was called. Yeah, it was on multivariate time series analysis. So I was dealing with forecasting models. Ah, okay. So that's a, a little easier to to grasp. But, but what, what what was multivariate about them? Yeah, you have um, a whole set of time series that you want to, because they are interrelated, you want to forecast them at the same time. Not only the time series as such, but also their volatility. And there are different approaches, of course. Is it Having uh, been a product of the British education system and not done any math since I was 15, uh, time series analysis, is that the kind of thing that a 17 or 18-year-old uh, math student might be just getting into? In high school, or do you have to do mm. you have to do a, a math degree to get into that? If you're in a specialized school, I would say you could get into that, but uh, normally you would rather start start a bit later. Yeah. Uh huh. But okay. it sounds maybe more complicated than it is because a time series is basically just um, a quantity or a variable that you measure over time. So you every day, basically, you could say, I look at the temperature and I write it down. And that gives you every day then, after a while, a time series of temperatures. Uh -huh. And if you want, you can build a model on it in order to forecast your temperature. Hmm. But this gets us into models, obviously. And, and it seems like most are, are all models based on history. So, for example, taking that example with uh, with temperature, if you want to forecast what what the temperature gonna, temperature is going to be after you've measured you know 20 days of previous temperature the the model is all going to be on the, the the performance of the previous 20 days is that right yeah that's correct so so all the financial models also work the same way we look at what's happened before and we assume that the future is going to be like the past 
behaving similarly if you want into certain similar circumstances but usually you don't only take its own history but you might also search for other variables that may have some explanatory power for your variable may it now be the temperature but you could also say okay i give it some additional information my model like i tell it that now we are just in the turn of spring to summer or or some other um, variables that you're that you're measuring like uh, wind or mm-hmm. but else. the idea of the model is to take something that that's real let's say all those things that happened in the past and then make something like an abstract possibility out of it is that right to make something that's not real but might be real i would have thought not necessarily i mean models in the financial um financial risk sector like when people calibrate uh, bond prices against a model that that forecasts bond prices the prices in the market are really forward-looking prices and it's forward-looking information because you believe the market has taken a view on wh- where are we going. And it's a bit, a little bit different, perhaps, to to models that indeed use past information, like um, default models, where Eva and I work a little bit more on, which maybe are driven a little bit more on on past information uh, because you want to capture a long-term trend. So I would say it depends a little bit on on what type of models you you look at whether it it is is driven more by past information via such a calibration or intrinsically it's a bit more forward looking forward looking uh, model but of course the data that you use to 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 calibrate your model needs to come from somewhere um, that is then typically past information but that might not be historic like for the bond prices, this captures a forward, forward-looking mm-hmm. look, uh, view of the market. Now, with the with with risk modeling inside a bank, um, I'm I'm a little bit confused because we we've had shows on this uh, dictionary of finance, uh, which describe um, different kinds of uh, metrics that, that that the bank has got to. Uh, remain within, like the the CAD ratio, the leverage ratio, the liquidity ratio. Uh, I mean, I understand that these are things that that someone, that, that the banking authorities, that they have already modeled in a way that they say that, okay, a bank, in order to be sustainable, you have to remain within these boundaries because if you don't, then it's bad news for, for everyone. Are these so? Our CAD ratio are the, are those also financial models? Are these risk models, or why do we need additional risk models beyond the ones that beyond the ones that the authorities already tell us? What what other kinds of risk modeling do we need to do, and why? Okay, so a CAD ratio, so capital adequacy ratio, is like the name it says. It's a ratio. It's not the outcome of one model as such. It just captures in one number the position of the bank versus its uh, um, sustainability of capital versus the risk it takes. But the number, I mean, or the or the, the boundaries of that number have been reached, I presume, through modeling, right? Because mm-hmm. they, the authorities have models that says that, okay, this is too little, this is, you know, enough, right? Absolutely. So... For instance, um, the card ratio, if you then look at what what uh, has been prescribed by Basel uh, 2 and 3 and what comes next, 
is, for instance, the pillar one approach where you compute regulatory capital. And there, the regulation is very prescriptive. It's rules-based. And depending on how sophisticated the bank you are, you are allowed to use certain formula that are given by the bank that are backed by research in the literature, for instance, the Vasicek approach in the, in, the, in the credit risk world that tells you what risk would you have to put aside um, to capture for the fact that your counterparts can default simultaneously over over one year to take into account that they can uh, that they are not independent of of each other which empirically you you can see what is the what is the varsicek approach so the varsicek approach that um, that uh, the regulator prescribes looks at it's based on the merton type uh, approach to to credit risks so you it's a structural credit risk model uh, that tries to uh, to replicate that a counterpart goes into default when it doesn't have enough money to um, to meet its obligations. Well, you you have you have so much debt on your balance sheet, your assets are less than the than the debt you owe to your counterparts would would be a default situation. Right? So that's the very basic assumption, idealized assumption, and um, the Vasicek approach looks at this concept of a breach over a portfolio of counterparts and allows these counterparts to be correlated. And then Vasicek does this extra does the extra step of saying the the portfolio is made up of an infinite amount of of counterparts which all have a very tiny exposure such that when you all put them together you have a finite a finite exposure and they all correlated through one global uh, risk driver. This is the underlying um, formula that you that you use as an uh, as a bank that has uh, approval to go along the way of the advanced um, ratings approach to compute regulatory capital in the credit risk space. I thought the Vazicek approach was a novel by Vladimir Nabokov about uh, chess, but anyway, never mind. Uh, when you when you have these models, I'd like to get at the they're a bit of a black box. You know, often you'll see journalists writing, banks use complicated models. They don't really try to get inside it. So let's just try and get inside it a little bit, Eva. The the methods that are used to to figure out what to put into these are from econometrics. Is that right? Um, also, you could say so, because sometimes you would, uh, this factor basically that Olivier has been mentioning is, is a systematic factor that the entire portfolio basically reacts to. So you can have, you have basically two components where you say um, the distance to default or say the difference between your debt and equity level, um, that you uh, measure this. Uh, with a systematic factor and also some idiosyncratic parts that if you integrate this over portfolio, these idiosyncratic parts might actually be vanishing or averaged out, whereas the systematic factor might still prevail. And in that respect, um, and this is what we have also seen with the new regulation on on accounting side, IFRS 9, um, the banks basically have been asked to uh, come up with risk parameters that are linked to macroeconomic factors. So you have a kind of systematic factor that drives your probability of default or, say, your distances to default. And this is what is also going into our models. So the distance to default is 
what you put into or what you're trying to get out of the model? This you're trying is to what figure we want out... to model and in particular also forecast. Aha, uh-huh. okay. So is that so that's a, a term that we, we yeah. should pay attention to, distance to default. I like that. Okay. So what other kinds of things are you are you trying to to measure? Well, one is, as we said, distance to default, which is also mapped usually and uh, much better known on the probability of default, maybe. And this, again, is very much and, and highly linked to rating grades that we hear very often on the television or radio also. So we are basically dealing with models that try to come up with a specific credit rating of a counterpart. So we assess the credit worthiness of a counterpart. And like this, if it gets a rating, it has a PD link to that, a probability of default link to that. And we can basically then tell this counterparty is that likely to go into default in the next uh, period of a year, say. Do we change? Other other, uh, measures are then if we know that uh, now our counterparty has defaulted, we would like to know how much are we going to lose. So uh, there is also the loss given default. Let's stick with the the black box just for a moment, because I want to know inside this apparent black box, what's actually there? Is it software? Is it it's not it's not Lego that you use to make these models? So, so do you write some kind of software? Is it is there a standard, and then you just change a few things? What's in there? Well, in the normal credit rating models that we have now, uh, they are currently implemented in the software package therapies or in the application therapies. And there, the the actual, say, function that has to be implemented there is rather simple because you look at your counterparty and you investigate certain risk drivers um, that this counterparty might be linked to, like uh, industry, country, um, and management. So you, you're looking into all these different kinds of factors and then you score them or you rank them. So we give um, factors like industry or country a numeric value where yeah, we think right. that this industry, a company in this industry is 0.1 more likely to, uh, to, 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 to default than, than, another in, than a company in another industry, right? Basically, you can say a scorecard model is a kind of ranking methodology. So you look into a group of counterparts and then you try to find define a certain ranking and we want to know which one is basically the best and which one is maybe not uh, so good. Uh, so And like this, you define a ran- ranking and you want your model to really also mimic this kind of ranking. Do we change our models? Like if we, like for example, if we... We, we, you know, you have a model for, for predicting defaults. You, you look at different things like, you know, industry. Uh, you look at the, maybe the, 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 the data of a, of a company. And then it turns out that, you know, over, over a year, 10 of those loans default. And then, and then based on those actual events, it turns out that one factor that you hadn't thought of is a better predictor of of um, defaulting. So do we then go back and change our whole formula and come up with a whole different range of ratings for our counterparties? So in, indeed, um, also what regulation prescribes is that one has to perform um, model performance exercises regularly, at least uh, annually, 
where you do check what you have, what your model has, let's say, forecasted versus the actual, in our case, defaults that have been observed. If you see uh, big gaps, perhaps this hints at uh, um, at the need to recalibrate your your model. It might um, look into uh, give you a hint at deeper structural problems that, as you mentioned, a new factor should be put in place. Another factor might turn out that it was not uh, so relevant. So. At the end of the day, also where the econometrics, I guess, comes comes in a lot is a lot of statistical analysis is done on on, on these models. So you calibrate them on a on a test sample, and then and and you can um, monitor its performance on uh, on a sample that is not the, the the test sample. But you can also do what's called back testing, right? Yes. So instead of looking at the performance evaluation, you look at it in a in advance on a, on a on an earlier set of data or how, what what is back testing exactly back testing i mean subsumed on the, the performance um, the model performance exercises indeed is also uh, also the back testing where where at the end of the day it's a bit what i mentioned now you have calibrated your 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 model on a given set of data and then obviously on that set of data you make good predictions because you use the model the model is fit for purpose on that on that uh, set of data and back testing if you want you just look at out of testing sample um, data where you also again know inputs and outputs and you check that if you feed the model with those inputs you can reproduce the outputs that um, that you have seen and then you can back test the, the model uh, in such a way Eva banks have to have these models so they can keep adequate capital so is there something in in the model that says oh you've reached this level now you put in this much extra capital is does it work like that Mm, well uh, again on the pd model as such you basically really just focus on the counterparty as such you don't really make the connects to uh, capital directly so for us the main uh, objective is really to get this kind of probability that a counterparty might default in the next year or maybe several years uh, to get this as accurate as possible. With the, with the rating models, you, you, you put in the initial data uh, for, for, you know, you, you create the model and then you fill the model with with the data about the counterparts. Do, does, do you then regularly feed updated information about the company's performance and then the model keeps on checking how how regular right. is that so basically every counterparty has to be revisited once a year every 12 months you have to update the rating uh, and see maybe it stays the same no mm-hmm. but if the updated information that you have on the market about for instance the balance sheet of the counterparty or the the industry as such uh, if there is a major change, then it might, of course, also have an impact on on the counterparty. Mm-hmm. And there is also perhaps important to to clarify the roles. So this re-rating is not done by us who work on the modeling side, but this is done by the credit risk officers who mm-hmm. are responsible for a given counterpart. They look at this data. Mm-hmm. They will. They are our model users. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are more the model developers uh, on the quantitative side that are interested uh, in, in working on such topics. And then you have the, the the people in the bank that are interested in really having more of the operational view, having a relationship um, perhaps with the counterpart, knowing exactly how the uh, counterpart is doing. 
they actually use this model, feed in the information you said, put it into the scorecard that AFA said before, and this then uh, turns out the new rating. Now, with the uh, with uh, with these uh, rating models, uh, I mean, th- this is something that that all the banks do for their counterparts. How similar are these models, or is there a competition between uh, model developers on uh, on whose models are the best ones, and and you know who has the best secret tricks to to predict? Okay, I mean, for instance, when we do model performance, we can check whether we are far off. Um, external ratings or not and then uh, I would imagine that most banks are not awfully of um, external ratings but you also of course need to need to uh, remember that external ratings are often also on, um, on on big companies that have outstanding debt then of course other banks when you deal with like SMEs perhaps I mean, we don't deal on on, re, on the retail side, but, uh, you know, uh, commercial banks have obviously also retail clients. You also need to rate and score those. And there you ha- don't have a natural uh, a natural pendant of an external rating agency. So maybe there it's more difficult to say whether these models are, are alike or not. But then, of course, the industry has uh, organizes conferences where knowledge is shared. Um, there's papers written on these. I would be surprised if, if there is huge huge structural differences between these these models of course everyone has its way of parametrizing its models but i would would uh, not believe that uh, structurally they are very very different but, but that might sorry but that might 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 perhaps change with the event of you know machine learning big data all of the fintechs um, and particularly on, on, on the retail or perhaps also SME side, uh, that come in perhaps with, with novel ideas. Uh, one heard, uh, here's in the, in the news, this challenger type of, uh, they are bank challengers. So maybe there's some, some real innovation comes uh, along the way that then will also be picked up eventually by us. Bank, bank challenger? What's a bank challenger? Well, I mean, these fintechs, what I meant is they, they break into the market of banks and um, they are very much driven also by uh, by i mean every bank is an it uh, company or and uh, and a lot of technology is involved and those startup fintechs they are driven a bit more by by technology are very tech savvy um, innovative might go a longer way with less people so there's interesting things that that maybe the the more bigger banks that have an infrastructure that was expensive to build over the years they're not so nimble initially so I would assume there's interesting things to come come their way but the in in principle the, the model should work the same way for for an SME and for a large company uh, the only thing is that the model probably has a separate metric for the size of the company in one way or another. Yeah, you might ask also for, you might have different risk drivers. and uh, But in general, I would say like uh, the general approach might be very similar because you have a certain part of the model that is driven from a quantitative part. So you can have the information about the balance sheet of the counterparty. But others are most likely always going to be qualitative, like uh, what's the management structure, and and so, um, so you would always have these two components, and um, and then again it depends on how you basically um, stick these two together, and how you calibrate all this. So this is where maybe there's a devil in the detail, 
but mm-hmm. uh, in general that's the that's the concept but also the qualitative uh, factors you then turn or the, the the credit officer then turns those into ones and zeros basically they they turn them into ticking the, yeah the well you, tick, you, the you might just tick. say out of um in a range of one to ten, what do you think is the quality of this and that risk factor? Or if you look into this, then they would give it a six or a four, hmm. you know. And again, the model would then take this numerical input, which is basically uh, carrying some qualitative assessment mm-hmm. into the into the model, and this is transformed then, if you want, again into a probability of default. So there is a room, even with these financial models, there is room for a kind of a subjective uh, assessment by by a human being who's looking into the into a company of and, and giving yeah. a, an assessment. Of course, yeah. I, I mean, if we if we come because we also asked before how different they are within the bank and uh, compared to, for instance, big uh, rating agencies. Um, I mean, the big rating agencies they of course have a much bigger group of people that basically look into one counterparty potentially and uh, they also might have much more time so that's usually one of the factors where uh, banks or tinier banks or banks like us we we just wouldn't have this resource and also time to really analyze a counterparty at the exact same level as uh, as a big agency does they might also have then different uh, committees to really judge on the final Uh, rating that they published and mm-hmm. so uh, like this it becomes potentially a bit less subjective than if you have one uh, credit officer that looks at it but you touched upon a very interesting uh, subject that you know there is variability in the in, in the outcomes of these rating models but then ultimately also into the regulatory capital and uh, and in, in, the, in the news uh, you could 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 read that um, also i guess on the political level There's concern that different banks have, if they are asked to to perform an assessment of risk and ultimately compute regulatory capital, the capital demand, on a similar portfolio, results can be very different. And this is why Basel IV proposals are to to take a step back and not allow banks to have as many internal models to compute the minimum regulatory requirement. And incidentally, at the moment, the ECB, the European Central Bank, undergoes its... uh, Trim exercise, a targeted review of inter- internal models, where they go into banks, um, check how banks calibrate their models, um, to understand where this variability comes from. I personally, as my personal view is, these internal models are a huge benefit than uh, a one-size-fits-all approach to risk uh, management. So I think it's very important that... Uh, um, the trust is regained in these models, even though it might take might take time. Guys, thank you so much, Eva and Olivier. Thank you so much for telling us all about risk. I'm I think I'm going to spend the rest of the summer uh, in the beautiful spa town of Vashicek. Uh, maybe I'm going to dive into a big pool of instanton liquid uh, and have a nice ice cold Axion. It does sound kind of like a some kind of drink. It sounds like an imaginary time. Yes, a beautiful imaginary time maybe even a series of times so uh if you haven't already subscribed to to this series you should uh subscribe on itunes spotify anywhere else you cast your pods and in the meantime get in touch with us if you would like to ask anything about the series i'm at eib matt eibmatt 
And I'm at Dollar Tankler, A-L-L-A-R-T-A-N-K-L-E-R. And this is a Dictionary of Finance from the European Investment Bank.